0: Changing the story around pain this is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula.
1: What is going on, everybody? This is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and founder here at Modern Pain Care, and coming at you with another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast this week, somewhat of a controversial topic. We always love to bring those up because I think there's again some reasonable discussions that can be made. And Jared and I usually don't scream at each other and yell at each other. We try to keep a safe, happy environment when we're when we're chatting about it. We obviously tend to agree with each other on a lot of things, but we'd always don't or don't always, I should say. So um, we're going to be talking about cervical manipulation today, which is can be a hot topic. Um, Jared's going to kind of lay some of the groundwork with with the background of the discussion. Um, but before we do lay that groundwork, how are you doing, Jared Hall?
2: I'm doing good, man. Uh, like'm I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, but I also know that it it, it could uh, spark a significant discussion. It could be a little bit uh, treacherous of a topic to wade into. Um, but I, I think it I think it's one that we should probably talk about, and I think it's probably gonna be most difficult for me to talk about because I'm torn i'm torn on the topic and i think i have uh reasons to to stand on either side and i can i can see positives and negatives and, and uh, you know maybe our discussion will push me more towards one side or the other uh or maybe it'll just like give me uh opportunities to reflect on the topic a little bit more
1: you know i think the fact that you are torn is a sign of a you know good clinical approach to cervical manipulation because it should be you know respected it's a, you know it's an intervention Um, You know, you're, you're moving some areas where there's R2 supply and different things that you need to be cognizant of and cautious of, and you should be doing all the due diligence as a good evidence-based clinician to make sure that you're applying the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. Now, some people are going to hear that, that there's never a right time for cervical manipulation. You should never do it. I think that's a little bit of a dramatic uh, interpretation of, of data. Um, but let's talk about because I think there's some some things that happened recently that I think sparked this conversation. I'm going to let you kind of lay the groundwork for people, because I think it's definitely these, we need to hear these stories. We need to keep this in mind, obviously, when we're we're considering this as a treatment approach for a patient. Um, but why don't you lay the groundwork for folks as far as kind of what you saw and what uh, as far as the discussion and what maybe prompted it?
2: yeah so um a couple of weeks back there was a there was a uh, a news story that got a lot of attention and it uh definitely started floating around on social media a lot and had a lot of discussion around it uh there was a um young uh what appeared to be very healthy uh college age female who visited a chiropractor and um got a cervical adjustment manipulation and started experiencing symptoms you know. Pretty immediately afterwards, and uh, that uh, that chiropractor called the person's emergency contact. I think it was her mom, and said, "Hey, she's having a bad response to, or, or, or a weird response to the manipulation. And I, I don't think she should drive. I think maybe you need to come pick her up or something like that." And I might be getting some of the details of the story wrong because I've, I've seen different portrayals and you know different information added, and I don't know what's a hundred percent accurate or correct. Um, well, and then you know very rapidly. Uh, this patient, this young girl's um, condition deteriorated and she went to the ER and what eventually ended up happening was the report of multiple arterial dust sections. So maybe vertebral artery or internal carotid artery or, you know, something up in the, uh, in the brainstem, the lower brain, the, the upper cervical spine, there was arterial damage that led to, you know, blood clots slash, uh, you know, CVA's slash subsequent, uh, brain damage. I think, uh, the, the girl actually maybe, uh, her had to be revived or something like that. Like actually for, for a split second had, you know, gone completely un- unresponsive and all of this sort of stuff. Right. So it brought up the discussion, like, you know, should we even do cervical manipulation at all? It, like, what is the risk benefit analysis? Is it, is it a viable treatment or should you just completely never use it? Uh, and, and I think that the, that's a valid. Question, And it's something that we probably should be thinking about, something we probably should have discussions about. I think that maybe what's lost a little bit in this whole story is... Number one, you know, we we hear that she's a relatively young, healthy girl. She looked young and healthy from her pictures and that sort of thing. But you don't always know what's going on from a comorbid condition uh, with somebody's health. Uh, we don't know the reason necessarily that she sought care, or at least I haven't seen the reason that she sought care, uh, and we have no idea what techniques or or what things that uh, provider did with that person, whether it was, you know. Um, the, the ring dinger, you know, wrap a towel around somebody's head and yank on their head as hard as they can while their body's locked into place on a table or whether it was a super in range, uh, you know, rotational manipulation, we don't really know. Or, or was it your standard, you know, what's perceived to be safer and more appropriate, you know, mid range, multi, multi lever arm, uh, osteopathic type, um, Manipulation. I, I, I don't really know. So there's, there's information that's not present in the story that I, I don't, um, I don't know that we can make a full, you know, assumption or, you know, conclusion without some of that information present. But it got me thinking about. Well, Jared, you've you've done a lot of manipulation training. Uh you've done a lot of cervical manipulation in your past in, in patient treatment. And uh you, you've had friends and you've had family members and you've had, you know, PT colleagues and all this sort of stuff that want you to do cervical manipulations. And I, I've done uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and you know, thousands of cervical manipulations and uh I have to start wondering like, what is the risk benefit analysis there? Were they, were they necessary? Should I avoid them? Is that something that we should, you know, just hang up uh, and and stop using as chiropractors, physical therapists, osteopaths, etc. Or, you know, is there's more to the story and and maybe patient selection uh, and appropriate screening is, uh, you know, a really important component that some people are not doing as well as they should, or maybe I haven't done as well as I should in the past. So there's just a lot of things that come up and uh, I'm, I'm torn back and forth because i recognize that i take a stance on manual therapy that it is a a pretty much non specific type of uh treatment intervention that creates you know short term modulation of symptoms through primarily you know dermal contact but also various other things you know receptor uh, activation within soft tissues and deeper soft tissues and within joints and stuff like that like i i I don't think about it as a structural thing. I don't think about it as a, as a fix, but at the same time, I can't I can't get over the fact that somewhere deep in the back of my mind, a- anecdotally, um, I have consistently and historically seen. Um, a greater treatment effect for people when there is a manipulation applied with an audible cavitation. And I recognize that there's theatrics to that. I recognize that there's patient expectation to that, but at the same time, I'm a human being and I have these biases that, uh, you know, you, you have to struggle with. And, um, no matter how much I read about it and how much, um, it, you know, some of my stances and views on manual therapy say that it is, it, it's not special at all. Uh, I personally have a better um, symptom response outcome when I, I hear or feel an audible cavitation within myself, and I know that you know all of my, the vast majority of my patients feel the same way. So I think we have to dig into that and ask why, and you know try to try to make sense and, and make relevance of that.
1: Yeah, you bring up some a lot of the you know necessary kind of considerations that you should be as you're deciding whether it's something you want to apply to a patient or not. I think. Um, first and foremost, I mean, any if you want to read anything, Roger Carey, Alan Taylor, probably two of the biggest bigger authors here in the physiotherapy world. Um, I know there's like uh, Haldeman and a few others in the, I think, the chiropractic world. But again, you should be reading up on what's the current best practice screening techniques. Now, we don't know in this case, was this, you know, because there's some discussions. Well, was she having these dissections? Was that why she was having the neck pain? And headaches, well, I don't know what her presenting symptoms were to the chiropractor to begin with. But was this the pre, you know, you know, the the symptoms that brought them, her to get to the manipulation and it was going to happen regardless of the manipulation or not. But I, I do also see some of the things on YouTube where people's necks are getting jerked around in ways that it just makes me almost cringe and get nauseous just because it, I mean, it, it's, I don't know. I just think there's, there's room, if you watch those, that you could see how... Structures can be stretched and torn <laughs> with it, but yeah i I just think in the end, we have to be good evidence based c- clinicians um taking the risk in the mind, knowing the patient that's in front of you who you're going deciding if it's going to happen or not now, if it's somebody who's morbidly um, obese has all the you know ish risk factors for um you know clots and or dissections, arteriosclerosis, you know, the hypocholesterolemia. All the you know different um, you know risk factors and stuff where they are somebody if who's probably going to have some arterial disease and then you're thinking of like hey I don't know if the juice is worth a squeeze personally in those situations I know um, there's situations where as I was taught in fellowship if somebody's presenting with first onset of significant neck pain and headache probably good to wait visit one or you know and, and to maybe go to visit two before you're going to apply. Um, Because if for any reason it is a dissection in progress, obviously you're going to do a cranial nerve screen, which I think we don't do as much as we should. All physical therapists, if you're treating anybody with head or neck pain, you should be doing cranial nerve screens on a good chunk of your everybody who has any headaches. I don't see there's any reason why you wouldn't, um, because that at least gives you some signs. of there's some brainstem signs or different things that might be going on that are influencing this or arterial signs? Obviously, your D's and N's, dizziness, diplopia, dysphagia, dysarthria, drop attacks. Um, you know, nausea, nystagmus, facial numbness. Um, you should be asking those things for anybody you're considering. And if there's any hesitation, I just don't think, you know, the the, the juice is worth the squeeze on, on on some of that if you're not 100% confident with it. Um, and, and I do agree, though, on the flip side that there are patients and I, I do tend to see that cavitation seems to be an important part of, of the response. Um, patients seem to you know and we could say there's probably some non-specific expectations and stuff yet yeah, you'll see studies where it, i remember i think it was cleland if i remember right the audible pop is it necessary um and they found that there were still some benefits whether the pop happened or not but um, i think from a patient perspective patient non-specific effect i do think the cavitation probably brings something to the table um but i also just anecdotally and if and those of you who use it and um like a cervicogenic headache that you've ruled out any significant things um and low risk factor patient and you can take their headaches that they've been suffering with for a few weeks and and abolish them with a manipulation around c2 c3 i know we're not specific but that area seems to be due to trigeminal cervical nucleus and, and boring things that we won't get too deep into that you can make a dramatic change in their symptoms for the better so i think there's rightful trepidation on both sides as far as like to, to throw it away meh, to, to do it on everybody meh. Um, but to have a well reasoned process of of really doing your due diligence as far as screening, we know the arterial testing is not the best. It's not going to tell you um, a ton, but you definitely, if anything, you should be doing it from a medical legal stat, uh, standpoint um, to to make sure you're doing your due diligence to them that you're making sh- you're doing having a process. I can't say again what this chiropractor did with this patient. You know, maybe they did an amazing. Uh, you know cranial nerve screen and and did all the things you know sometimes i think especially females uh, i do see a decent amount of Ehlers Danlos people and some of those folks a subset have significant vascular you know issues that definitely i wouldn't be manipulating those folks they can have vascular injuries very easily because some of the connective tissue dysfunctions that go along with the subset of eds patients so again i just think there's a lot you should be having on your radar mentally um and and thinking wise as you're doing these things but um I, I guess I don't stand on the side of you know, either side, which I think is probably a good side to be, as far as like no, no one ever should do it. Versus and or everybody should be getting cervical manipulation, and I don't. Hopefully, there. Are, I mean, I know there are people that should never that say the never thing, but um, I definitely see a lot of neck patients that I primarily mobilize and and don't do much and test, treat, retest, show some good signs, and they're happy. I'm happy, but I definitely also see some people who are very, you know, low risk, screened well have a past history, a good positive response, have an expectation of positive response um, that I'm okay. Given a manipulation, um, I don't ring ding or do anything where I feel it's like super aggressive and and I sleep well at night and patients seem to do well. Now, some people say, oh, you're just, you're just waiting for your dissection and to happen in your clinic. I, I think it's a risk based on the, my reading of the research that I'm willing to, to, to take with the screening processes and and thinking processes I've been I I feel okay with, with doing that in certain cases. What's, what are, where are you at here?
2: Man, uh, you brought up a lot of things I think, uh, are worth talking about. I mean, you mentioned mobilization and that that's a common uh, point that comes up in this discussion is like, well, why do you need to do a manipulation when you could just do a mobilization? And that's a valid question. Like, why, why do you? But then you also have to take that in hand with some of the literature that shows that there is equally or greater strain force on the vertebral artery with a mobilization and in in you know in range positioning as there is with a immobiliz- uh, with a manipulation and, and in fact, I think there's two studies now that show that the manipulation actually causes less strain force than the mobilization, so um I think that you would have to say do I do any manual therapy on the cervical spine mobilization or manipulation? Uh, if you take that evidence into account and, you know, uh, there's the two Cassidy papers, I think like Cassidy 08 and Cassidy like 14 that get brought up a lot where, uh, they screened, you know, how many vascular events happened after primary care visits versus, you know, uh, chiropractic visits. And, And they found oddly enough that, There were actually more vascular events that happened after a primary care visit where no manual therapy was applied versus a chiropractic visit where obviously manual therapy was applied. And uh, that was from a subset of Medicare uh, uh, patients. And they found it to be like, you know, one out of one out of three million people have a vascular event after a after a. Um, cervical manipulation. And, and I know that there's some problems with that study, but it's still interesting data that we have to take into account when you're talking about, um, you know, risk stratification and, and, and that sort of stuff. And then to go even further, uh, you know, you mentioned patient expectation. and I believe it's, it's Louis Plinidora who has the cervical manipulation CPR where, you know, it's, uh, ipsilateral limited rotation and, you know, mid cervical spine, uh, pain with uh, PA or whatever it is. And then patient expectation of cervical spine manipulation. And when you take any one of those signs and, and, and factors on its own, the patient expectation of a cervical manipulation is the strongest predictor of success from a cervical manipulation, which, um, that becomes the discussion of the self-fulfilling prophecy of if we keep doing cervical manipulations, then patients will keep expecting to get better from them. So it's going to just continue the cycle of people coming in and expecting cervical manipulation and getting a better response because they expect it. So there's, there's so much to this that we could discuss. Um, and again, I, I, oh, and you know, the, the one other thing that you brought up was, the Cleveland, uh, and I think it was Tim Flynn on that study for the lumbar manipulation CPR. Right, that's where this all came from, and they did the the old, you know, Chicago roll, the banana peel, where you bend somebody, you know, in half and roll them, and you know, press on their ASIS, and uh, they found that you know you didn't need an audible cavitation for you to get the same outcome. I think there's some interesting stuff to discuss with that because, like. I only see that manipulation get an audible cavitation like 1 out of 20 times. We teach it every single year in our MSK curriculum. It's just not a very effective or or comfortable or or, um, reasonable manipulation approach to take for the lumbar spine in my personal opinion. And then that lumbar spine CPR had some, it was a, it was a, you know, a derivation study where they had a lot of weird random factors that predicted whether or not somebody would be successful with that. And one of those was, you know, a very short duration, a very short onset. So you could have done anything probably for a lot of these people and they're going to be better, uh, three, four, five, six weeks later because time is very effective at helping these things. So, Uh, maybe that's why the cavitation did or did not matter because a, a shit ton of people just got better with a little bit of time because the manipulation cpr said it has to be you know within 14 or 16 days of onset
1: yeah a young overall healthy military population too which probably has even a more propensity to have a good natural history response to um to back pain yeah a lot of things to unpack with a lot of these studies but i think hopefully what folks are hearing is that there should be a well thought out reasoned approach um and considerations of all these factors when you're deciding if this is something that fits with the n equals one in front of you each day um each patient that you see um i i i think again it, it should be a, a mutual decision and uh, you know there's, we also have, you know, the, the discussion of like, you know, explaining risks to patients and, you know, informed consent. That's a whole nother uh, discussion on it. Um, well, we don't do informed consent when we put somebody on a treadmill or do these, uh, you know, or have them take ibuprofen, which you could argue is, has higher risk than, than that. And I think there's fair arguments on both sides of that. We Maybe we have another discussion on the uh, informed consent thing, but. Um, you know, I always explain what we're going to do and, and, and what it involves and are you okay? Is that something you're, you're cool with us per, proceeding with? Again, most patients that I apply manipulation, I've had it numerous times. Um, I, I tend to try the mobilization route before I go manipulation. If it's not somebody that's had it just because, you know, I, again, my bias, uh, not saying that's the right way or wrong way by any means, but yeah, it, it's interesting. But hopefully again, you should be, uh, we'll see if we can link some of the, Clinical kind of guidelines as far as screening for you know cervical arterial function. We'll link some of Roger Carey Allen Taylor's work and some of the Cassidy work that Jared said, so you guys can kind of look at it for your own um, you know perusal and see what your kind of take is on it. Um, be careful. Uh, I just would say, uh, no. Granted, we, Jared and I don't. I mean, I teach it a little bit, and uh, not as much anymore in, in undergrad or in grad school, like DPT school. But I don't. I don't go out on continuing education courses and teach it. So. Um, I just I'm always telling folks not because I mean everybody has malicious intent or anything, but if somebody's really spouting at the mountaintops, that it should be done, and they're also profiting from teaching courses of how to do it. I again, not saying that 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 person's got bad intent, but we should at least pump the brakes and and be a little bit cautious in our interpretation of their um, opinion on things. Just just well round it out. Get all the opinions. Let yourself. Make the judgment and not, you know, loud voices on social media or a lot of voices from folks that teach it. Um, I know there's a lot of great folks who are teaching it that do it in a very well-reasoned, um, patient-centered manner. So I'm not saying everybody who teaches it has, uh, you know, so don't hear that because I don't want to get hate mail. But um, yeah. What do you want to leave folks with, Jared?
2: Man, you know, I, I'm just going to leave folks with, uh, something that, uh, I probably should say more than I do, but maybe people don't hear me say as much as I should is that I just don't know. I really just don't know on this topic. And I want to see the discussion continue and I want to see more and more research on it. I want to get, um, you know, more and more data to make good decisions with because I'm, I'm on the fence on, on this
1: question and I, I want to hear everybody's perspectives. And there you have shot your social media, uh, in the, in the ass because now you're not taking a, 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 um, you know, stir up the pot, you know, dichotomous viewpoint where it's all or none, baby. You gotta, like, you gotta take the, you gotta, you gotta go to the far side. So you, so the algorithm gets, gets stoked and all that stuff. As you can tell, I'm a little bit of a social media, I'm not a fan, but anyway, um, but that's what I think that's the risk of social media, in my opinion, is it it tries to pull us to one side versus the other. And it really hinders the well-reasoned middle ground that often exists with most of these discussions. And it is okay not to know. And I think having that trepidation and, and not sure is a good way to proceed with the many issues just because it keeps your mind open to hearing both sides of an argument not just walling yourself off to whatever group of like-minded group thinking individuals so um, keep keep not knowing and not knowing the answer and if we get if it if the strong evidence comes out that that points us in one direction um, be willing to move in whatever direction that it is and not dig yourself into believing that it's you know one way or the other so Um, Yeah, I I definitely can appreciate what your thoughts were there, Jared. Um, And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. A a, a lovely topic that I hopefully we can, if you guys chime in on social media, we'd love to hear where you're at with it and what you think. And, um, you know, definitely uh, would be a good little discussion to have. Again, let's try to keep it civil so people don't, you know, some of these topics we talk about, you know, can can turn on the emotions. But let's keep it well-reasoned and and keep it respectful. If some people don't, don't, some people do. Yeah, that's all right. There still could be amazing people. Doesn't mean that they're bad people. It's just, they don't think maybe the same way you do, which is okay in this world, believe it or not. So, all right. I'm going to leave you guys with that. Uh, Hopefully you found some value in the episode. Make sure you guys are subscribing on the old YouTube and on the uh, podcast uh, providers, just so we can get this information out to more people. But uh, until next time, we'll talk to you next week.
0: This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karjula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.